Heavenly Father, Lord, we do give you praise and honor and glory, and we do thank you that you have not left us with subjective feelings, but rather you've given us your objective word that we may know you and we may have salvation. So, Lord, I lift up our time to you tonight. I ask, Lord, that you would help us with these concepts, all for the sake of uh, furthering your kingdom and also giving an answer for all who ask for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect. So we lift it all up to you. We ask that we'd, everything we would do would be honoring in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now tonight, I'm going to just start off on the first slide. I want to show you where we're going because I want to kind of give you the parameters of what we're covering. Okay? So I'm going to do just a little bit of review. And this slide is to help you see kind of the totality of formal logic as far as we're going to cover it. Okay? So remember last week where we left off, we talked about arguments. Do you guys all remember that? And we talked about the definition of an argument is the providing of reasons for your conclusion. Okay? And of course, arguments are comprised, we found out, with syllogisms. Remember, syllogisms have how many premises? There's two premises and one conclusion. Okay? So think of arguments comprised of syllogisms. Now... Uh, we have also syllogisms are comprised of what? Well, propositions. Okay? So propositions are comprising our syllogisms. Now, what I want you to think about is the category of syllogisms. We have three of them that we talked about. The three basic types are the categorical, and that's what we're going to be covering tonight, the hypothetical, and the disjunctive. And if you recall, in the disjunctive syllogism, there's a subfamily called a conjunctive. We may or may not cover that next week. Okay, we'll see. Now, look over to the right here. Look under propositions. If you think about it this way, under the categorical syllogisms right here, we have four type of propositions that comprise them. And we studied those last week. A-E-I-O. Universal affirmative. We have the universal negative, particular affirmative, particular negative. These are the type of propositions that comprise the categorical syllogism. Okay? So, Again, tonight we're going to go through the categorical. Next week is hypothetical and disjunctive. And there's one more little animal that we're going to cover, and it's a dilemma. So next week we're going to cover hypothetical, disjunctive, and dilemmas. And with that, it's going to conclude our looking into formal logic. And then the last night is going to be informal logic, where we're looking at informal fallacies. All right? So dilemmas, by the way, are comprised of, you have the same fallacies are involved with hypothetical syllogism, so they're related. So, and so next week's going to be a lot easier. In fact, Bob and I were talking about today on the phone that the categorical syllogisms, just to let you know, these are the most difficult. Okay? So it's all downhill or uphill, whatever you want to say. It's better from here. All right? Now, let's get started. Recall the propositions that we dealt with, and there's four types again. Let's look at the first one was an A, a universal affirmative. And remember the principle, when we check for universal, we just simply say, well, is it all or is it some? And some always means at least one. Okay, it's not all, but it's at least one, right? Well, of course, universal, this is a universal proposition because it's all. But then we check to see if the predicate is negative or affirmative. And what was our principle in that? Well, we always look to the copula, all right? And of course, their copula is affirmative. So this is a universal affirmative. All men are sinners. And then, of course, we looked at this one as a little trickier. All men are non-righteous. Now, why would that be a universal affirmative? Well, we had another principle that we kind of memorized, right? 
And we, we saw that non and un go with subjects and predicates. All right? So that non here is with the predicate. Therefore, the R is left alone. And in order to check for negative or affirmative predicates, we always look to what? The copula right here. Okay, so that would be a universal affirmative. All right, so universal negative, all men are not righteous. All right, so again, all men, it's universal, are not, it's obviously negative. Now, what was the problem with that type of proposition? Remember I talked about that case of linguistic confusion where the mother and the daughter, the mother or the daughter's kind of crying on the mother's shoulder, and she says, Mom, you know, my, I broke up with my boyfriend and all, all men are pigs. And the mother says, well, now, now, dear, all men are not pigs. Now, does she literally mean categorically on the planet there's no such thing as a man that's a pig? No. She really means some men aren't pigs. So, in, in other words, technically, what I just showed you here where it says all men are not righteous, that is a universal negative. But because of the way we use language imprecisely, we're going to be very careful and we're going to actually phrase it this way. No men are righteous. And we have to realize that this is saying the same thing. So, for instance, oftentimes you'll see a no men are righteous. What I do is I just remember the no has to be transported behind the copula and add a T. So men are not righteous. Okay? But then, okay, so that's, that's how I remember the universal negative. Now, I give you guys some homework. Now, let's look at some examples. And by the way, I have a couple in here that I didn't give you as homework, so those are just freebies. But here's one. No atheists are Christians. What was that one? What did you guys come up with? Universal negative, right? Yeah. Yep. Another way of saying this would be atheists, and again, that would be universal, are, and take the no, move it over, atheists are not Christians, right? Okay. Logic is not used by everybody. Now, why is logic universal? Because we're looking at logic as a whole category. It's the category of logic. It's universal. If we said portions of logic or some of logic, that would be a particular but we're talking about logic. Okay? So as far as we know, it's universal. All right? So logic is not used by everybody. Of course, this would be another universal negative. God cannot sin. Now, this is a tricky one, and this actually, I think, gets into a little theology. I actually came up with a different answer than Norman Geisler. Okay? But Geisler probably is right. I don't know. Uh, what did you guys come up with this one? on this one? Universal negative? That, that's what I thought, too, initially. Let me explain. I'll, I'll explain what Geisler has here. He has a universal affirmative. And what he says in his book um, is the way he phrases it is God is one who cannot sin. Okay? So then what's our copula? It's is. Okay? So you see the difference? God is one who cannot sin. Now, why do you think he might do that? Here's what I think. I think this gets into the debate about the impeccability of Christ. In other words, some theologians debate, is it true that God, uh, well, let's just talk about Jesus in particular, Jesus being God, is it that he's able not to sin or is he not able to sin? And I think what we're doing is we're getting a look into Geisler's theology. He is wanting to affirm two things. One, God cannot sin, but yet he's maintaining, maintaining his omnipotence because he's saying God has the power not to sin. Do you see the distinction? So now we're not saying God can't do something, but rather we're saying God can do something, namely not sin. So therefore we're upholding all his attributes, both his sinlessness and his omnipotence. I think that's why, maybe why Geisler did that. So anyway, 
That, I'm just trying to figure out why he did that. Because when I looked in the book, he says God is one who cannot sin. And that would be a universal affirmative. But to me, the way this is written, it's universal negative. So again, I think he's, I think he's letting his theology kind of dictate that. So yeah, but I'm just trying to answer why would he do that, and I think that's why. So anyway, uh, that was a tricky one. Let's move on to some other ones that are easier. None is righteous. How about, well, that's still kind of tricky. How would you do that one? You could say it this way. Everyone is not righteous, correct? And therefore, you have a universal negative. How about, no man has seen God. And that's, that's fairly straightforward. Again, you take the no and you just move it over here and add a not. And then just put this plural. Men have not seen God, right? Universal negative. And finally, one more. Nobody seeks God. What would that one be? Anybody get that one? Yeah, universal negative. Yep, good. All right, now let's look at the other propositions that we have. We already looked at the universal affirmative, universal negative. We saw our principles. Now let's look at the particular affirmative and the particular negative. And again, they're particular because it's some, not all. Okay, some men are saved or some men are not saved. And here's the examples that I gave you. Some Christians are non-obedient people. And I, I would trust that we all got particular affirmative on that, Correct. Because, again, the non goes with subjects and predicates, not with a copula. And so the R is left alone, and therefore it is affirmative. All right. Uh, many unsaved people are good neighbors. Okay, what about that one? Is that particular or universal? Well, many is particular, isn't it? Okay. And, of course, it's affirmative. Now, here's a little trickier one, I think. Oh, not, not this one. Oh, well, <laughs> this gets into our issue again. Not all preachers are Protestant is the same thing as saying All preachers are not Protestant, right? Now, again, technically it's universal negative, but I put PN on there, particular negative, again, to warn us that sometimes what we mean by that isn't a universal negative, but rather a particular one. Again, if I despair and I cry on Bob's shoulder and I say, all the seminaries have gone emergent, and Bob says, oh, now, now, Eric, all seminaries are not emergent. Does he mean categorically all seminaries are not emergent? Actually, he means some seminaries aren't emergent. See, that's just the way we're using language, okay? So just be aware of that, that technically it's universal negative, but the way we use language, it could be construed as a a particular negative. Okay, all right. They are not among the believers. Now, why is they? What what is they? What do you think that is? Do you think it's a some? Who says some? (laughs) Okay, who says all? Okay, I think it's all too, and I'll tell you why. Because the they, it's talking about a group. Okay, so think of, if it said some of them, it would be obviously particular, but think of they as 50 people in the, the room. So categorically, they. Okay, those 50 people, they. So it, it's, uni, it's universal, and this would be a universal negative. Yep. How about those books are in the Bible? That's a little tricky too. Again, think of anytime you can... Take something as a group, okay? Those books, okay? It's not some of those books or a partial load of those books or anything like that. It's those books, okay? So then, therefore, it'd be universal as well, okay? Universal affirmative. All right, and was that it? Yep, that's it. Now, I showed you this diagram, and I hope it was helpful. Let's talk about it a little bit again because we're going to get into distribution, which is going to enable us to to determine whether or not a syllogism is valid or invalid, And remember last week we talked about the principle. You see subject here. Under the subject of the A and E, which are universal affirmative, universal negative, these are distributed, we said. 
whereas the particular affirmative and particular negative are undistributed in the subject. The predicates notice that the negative predicates are always distributed, okay? Whereas the affirmative predicates are undistributed, all right? Now, let's talk about this distribution thing. What is it? Why isn't distribution important? Well, we must know distribution to check arguments for formal fallacies, okay? So we're going to need to know if something's distributed or not distributed in order to check the syllogisms. Now, what is it? Well, unless the entire class of a subject is referred to, the predicate not, might not apply to certain members of that subject's class. So I know that seems very abstract. What I'm going to do is draw circles here for you, and I'm going to try to explain distribution. And I want you to realize that at first we're going to be dealing just with subjects. Okay? Now, look at this circle that I have here. And I want you to think of this circle. And don't ask me why. I went back to biology. I went back to animals. And I should have left that category alone, being that I don't even know what a mammal is. Okay, but I went back there, uh, bold as I am. And I want you to think of this circle as representing all dogs. Okay? And so, therefore, here we have an A-class proposition, a universal affirmative. And notice it says all dogs are mammals. So if you're a dog, you're a mammal. So notice it's distributed because it's talking about all dogs, all of them in the class. It's not leaving anything out. And, therefore, what we say goes for all the dogs. That's distribution. We're not leaving anything out. We're talking about the entire class. That's why a universal subject is distributed. Okay? So those would be A's and E's. Now, let's look at the, the non-distributed or the undistributed types. Notice it says some mammals are dogs. And again, think of this circle as representing all mammals. Okay? Well, the inner circle is representing dogs. And so what we're saying is, well, some mammals are dogs, but what about out here? Here we have other mammals. And you might have a squirrel or a vicious puma or some you know, giraffe or something else. And certainly those are mammals, and we're not talking about them, are we? Okay, we're leaving those out. And therefore, it's not distributed. Okay, does that make sense? So again, this, and by the way, you guys, this screen here that we're looking at is subjects only. Okay, again, so now the next screen, what I want to look at is predicates. Okay, so those are the I's and those. Now, this is the distribution of predicates, and this gets a little bit more complex, so much so I had to use color. Okay, so now we're dealing with predicates only. And let's look at the distributed side. Remember, these would be the negative predicates, right? The E's and the O's. And again, here's, this is what, a universal negative. No horse is two-legged. It's the same thing as saying horses are not two-legged. Now, here's my diagram. Let me explain it. I want you to think of this circle as representing all horses. In the white portion is all white horses. In the brown portion is all colored horses, whether they be blue, black, gray, striped, polka dot, whatever they are, it's non-white horses. Okay? So what I'm showing you in this diagram, the reason why this is distributed is because it says all horses are not two-legged, right? So, in other words, again, it's talking about all the horses. Whether it's the white ones or the not-white ones, it's not two-legged. If a horse, not two-legged. Okay? So, again, it's distributed because it's talking about all of the horses. Okay? They're, they're, they're not two-legged. They're, they're a non-two-legged item. Okay? Now, some horses are not white. All right? Now, notice here, again, we're talking about, in this circle, only. Okay? These are non-white horses. 
And we're talking about them as a group. They may be blue. They may be black. They may be striped. Whatever they are, they're not white. So again, we're talking about that as a whole group. And therefore, it's distributed. Because we're only talking about that group. That's the only group we care about, the non-white ones. You see? Okay, so it's distributed. All right? Now, let's go to the undistributed and see if we can use our circles again. I want you to think of this circle as representing all two-legged, or four-legged, rather, creatures. Okay? So the green circle represents all four-legged creatures on the planet. Now, here is an undistributed statement. All horses are four-legged. All right? Now, what I want you to think about is this circle here, this white circle, represents all horses. And again, the white represents white horses, and then you have brown horses, you have black horses, and blue horses. Okay? But no matter what, yes, if you're a horse, you're four-legged, but the problem is it's not distributed because we have all these other things that are four-legged that aren't being addressed. Okay? There's four-leggedness out here, but all we can be sure of is that this here is four-legged. Okay? In other words, we're not, it's not distributed because we're not talking about all the four-legged things. We're just talking about some of the four-legged things, aren't we? Does that make sense? Okay? Now, this is the one that I think gets a little sticky. Now, and by the way, I'm just showing you kind of the theory behind it. It's a lot easier. All we're going to do is memorize a principle. But I'm just trying to show you what's behind this. Now, this is the, um, the O, or I'm sorry, the I proposition. Some horses are white. Okay, it's a particular affirmative. Now, again, this is undistributed because we're talking about, yeah, some horses are white, but some are brown, and some are black, and some are blue. So again, we can't be categorical about it. We're not saying very much. Yeah, some are white, but some are black, and some are blue. So again, it's not distributed. Okay? We're not talking about the whole category. We're just talking about some. All right? Now, that, that's all the, the theory I can muster up for you. But let's just talk about how do we handle this realistically. And it's to memorize. A pound of memorization is worth a lot more poundage uh, of understanding. Okay? As the saying goes. All right, universal subjects are distributed. So remember, we have A's and E's. These are distributed subjects, right? All men and no men. Because no men is the same thing as saying all men are not perfect, right, for the E. Then negative predicates are distributed, the E's and the O's. Now, what I want you to notice is that the E proposition is the only one that is distributed both in the subject and the predicate, okay? Now, here's the thing that you want to memorize. And I, I brought it up last week again. The principle is universal subjects and negative predicates are distributed. And that's all we have to remember. So all the theory and all the circles, you can just toss them unless you like them. Okay? Universal subjects and negative predicates are distributed. All right? Now, we're going to check syllogisms for validity. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the components of a syllogism because you're going to notice we have three terms. The first term is what's called a major term. And the major term is always the predicate of the conclusion. Here's the predicate of the conclusion. Okay? Now, the major term is also going to be found in the major premise. Keep in mind the major premise here sometimes is the second premise and sometimes it's the first premise. Okay? So the order doesn't matter. But the major term will always be in the predicate of the conclusion, whereas the minor term is always the subject of the conclusion right here. Okay? So sinners is the minor term. And the middle term is always in both major and minor premises, so we have it here, lost people, right? But it's never in the conclusion. 
So there you can see we have three terms. We have a major, a minor, uh, and a middle, right? And we only have three terms. In fact, if we have any more than three terms, we have ourselves a validity problem, okay? It's a four-term fallacy. So we have to have only three terms. So we're going to be checking for only uh, three terms when we're looking for validity. So here are the seven rules for validity. I'm going to put up that same prop or that same syllogism. Okay. Now here are the rules, and this is you're going to finally find out why you had to understand distribution. Okay. Now there's seven rules to determine validity. The first one is what we just talked about. There must only be three terms. And let's look at this example that I have here. Sure enough, you see only three terms. You have unbelievers, the major term, right? That's considered one term. You have your minor term, sinners, and you have the middle term, lost people, okay? So that would not violate rule number one. Rule number two, the middle term must be distributed at least once, okay? Now let's find our middle term. It's lost people, correct? Now let's look at the second premise first, the minor premise. All sinners are lost. That is an affirmative predicate, are affirmative predicates distributed? No, right? Only universal subjects and negative predicates. So we don't have a distribution there. But the good news is, in the major premise, we do, in fact, have a distributed middle because it says all lost people, right? And universal subjects are distributed. So because we have a distributed middle term in the first premise, we're okay because it just has to be distributed at least once, okay? So we're good on that rule. Rule number three, terms distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in the premises. So what terms do we have in the conclusion that are distributed? Well, we only have one because, again, universal subjects are distributed in negative predicates. So it's only all sinners. Well, sure enough, we look above in the premises and all sinners is, again, a universal subject. So that is distributed. So we're golden there, too. Does that all make sense? Is everybody tracking? Okay. No. Okay. Okay, let's, let's slow down then a little bit. Terms distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in the premises. Okay, now how do we have a distributed uh, subject and a distributed predicate? We have a distributed subject if it's universal, and we have a distributed predicate if it's negative. Okay, so we're going to be looking at the conclusion here, and if anything is distributed in the conclusion, it must be distributed also at least once in the premises. Okay. So let's look at the conclusion. All sinners are unbelievers. Okay? That's a universal affirmative. So the only thing that's distributed in that proposition is what? The subject or the predicate? The subject. Okay? So let's look at a rule. Terms distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in the premises. So in the conclusion, we have one term that's distributed. It's, it's sinners, right? Sinners is the subject. All right. So now all we have to do is we have to make sure that same term is distributed at least once in the premises. Okay. And sure enough, it is because look in premise two. It's the minor term and it says all sinners are lost. Right. But again, because it's a universal subject, it's distributed. Do you see that? So we're good on that rule because here the, a, a term that's distributed in the conclusion is in fact distributed in the premise. So we, we haven't violated rule number three. Does that all make sense? Is that clear? Okay, we'll keep rolling here. Um, we'll, we'll do some examples too. It, it's, there's nothing better than doing examples. The conclusion always follows the weaker premise. 
Notice here, in both the major and the minor premise, we have all, uh, which are universal, and we have affirmatives. Okay? If, in these premises, we had either a particular, a sum for a subject, or we had a negative predicate, our conclusion must follow that weaker premise. Does that make sense? So, in other words, up here, if we had, instead of all sinners... It said some sinners, we would have to have a sum down here because the conclusion always follows the weaker premise. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, and again, we're going to do examples of this. I'll keep going. Number five, no conclusion follows from two negative premises. Okay, so if we had, any, if we had two, um, like for instance, this premise and this premise, if these were both R-naughts, then we could have no conclusion. Okay. Remember, it says no conclusion follows from two negative premises. So we could have one of these be negative, but it's just not both of them. And, of course, they're both affirmative here, so we're good on that rule. No conclusion follows from two particular premises, right? So if both of these, instead of all, were some, we could have no conclusion. Okay, we could have one of these be some and still have a conclusion, but not both. In fact, we're good on this rule, too, because they're both all, okay? Seventh rule, no negative conclusion follows from two affirmative premises. Okay? So if we had two affirmative premises, which is what we have, we have two R's, right? We could have no negative conclusion, and we don't. So this is a valid syllogism because it meets all seven rules of validity. Now, what the neat thing about it is, remember, this doesn't mean it's true. It just means it's valid. Okay? What's nice about this is if we know we have a valid syllogism, all we have to do is check the premises, the first and second premise, and check to see if they correspond to reality. If those premises are in fact true, the conclusion is necessarily true. Okay, That's why it helps uh, keep our thinking together or help us be better uh, reasoners of Scripture and so forth because all we have to do, once we have a valid syllogism, all we have to do is make sure the premises are in fact true. Because if they're true and it's a valid syllogism, the conclusion must be true. It's a necessary conclusion. Okay. Now, let's do some examples together. And um, In fact, I broke down the seven rules of validity. There must only be three terms. Let's go through this one. I'm going to give you an example. Here's a syllogism that violates this rule. Now, let me explain why it violates. We have premise one, premise two, premise three, or the conclusion, I should say. Okay. Well, this is a violation of the three-term rule. And the reason why it is, is here we have the, the major term in, included in the scriptures, right? And sure enough, it's up here. That's one term. And then we have um, our middle term, inspired writings, and Handel was inspired. And then we have, that would be our middle term, and then the minor term is here, Handel's Messiah. So at the outset, it appears we have three terms. Now, what's the problem with it? Well, the problem is something called equivocation, namely... Inspired writings is different than Handel being inspired, right? What's the difference? Well, we're using the same term inspired, but we're using it in a different way, all right? So the inspired scriptures are different than Handel being inspired because the, the inspired scriptures are perfect, inerrant, infallible, all right? But Handel just had a good fuzzy feeling on a particular morning and wrote something great. So we're using inspired in completely different ways. That's called equivocation. And we're going to talk more about that Informal or informal fallacies day four. So I just want you to understand that when we're looking to see if we only have three terms, we want to make sure all the terms are in fact, that they all have the same meaning, that there's no equivocation. 
So, for instance, let's say we're talking after class, and you say to me, Eric, that was a sound argument. And somebody else says, well, yeah, all I hear coming from you is sound. Okay? All right? <laughs> right? That's a different, that would be four-term fallacy category. That's equivocation. It's using sound. It's the same term, but it has a completely different meaning. You see what I'm saying? And so that's why it's, it's a four-term fallacy. We actually have four terms. So that's something to watch out for. Okay? Now, number two, the middle term must be distributed at least once. All right, now let me show you an example of this where it's violated. All Baptists are baptized. All Presbyterians are baptized. All Presbyterians are Baptists. Okay, wow, that's quite a conclusion. Now notice, what, where's our middle term? Our middle term is always in both the major and the minor premise, but it's never in the conclusion. So sure enough, it's easy to spot. It's, I have it underlined. It's are baptized and are baptized. Okay, now what's the problem? That's an affirmative predicate. Is an affirmative predicate ever distributed? No. Nope. Only negative predicates are, right? So we do not have a middle term that's, ba- that's <laughs> baptized, that's distributed even once. Okay? So therefore, this would be invalid. And if you were taking a logic exam, it would say you would write invalid, undistributed middle. Okay? It's invalid. Uh, go back to the, you know, go work on this, guys. You know, go back to the drawing board. You've got to work on that. It's invalid. Okay, now let's look at rule number three. Terms distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in the premises. Okay, let's look at an example of this. All Hindus are vegetarians. No Jehovah Witness is a Hindu. No Jehovah Witness is a vegetarian. That's the conclusion. Now, what terms do we have that are distributed here in the conclusion? Well, in fact, this is an E-type proposition, is it not? You could say all Jehovah Witnesses are not vegetarians, right? That's the same thing. So, both in an E proposition, both the subject and the predicate are distributed because we have a universal subject and a negative predicate. Does that make sense? So, they're both distributed. So, now we have to have both of these terms, Jehovah Witnesses and vegetarian, they must be distributed again in the premises. Okay, so let's take no Jehovah Witnesses first. Remember, no Jehovah Witness is the same thing as saying all Jehovah Witnesses do not. Okay? But So what I want you to see is that we look up above here in premise 2 and we see that we have the same distributed subject. So whereas this is distributed, this is distributed too. So we're okay there. All right? Now, what about the vegetarian? Is a vegetarian distributed? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Okay? Because it's the same. Remember, Jehovah Witnesses are not vegetarian. So this is distributed so this must be distributed here in order to, for us to have a valid syllogism. But what's the problem? This isn't distributed. Why? Yeah, because it's an affirmative predicate. It's not a negative predicate. If it was a negative predicate, we'd be golden. Because remember, we have a distributed vegetarian. Remember, Jehovah Witnesses are not vegetarians. It's the same thing. So this is distributed down here, but it's undistributed in the premise. So our rule is violated. Terms distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in the premise. So therefore we have what's called an illicit major. The major term is not distributed. That would be an invalid categorical syllogism. Okay, is everybody tracking with that? And we'll do more of these. Okay, so four, the conclusion always follows the weaker premise. These are usually easy to spot. No wicked person will escape judgment. Remember, that's the same thing as saying all wicked people will not escape judgment. Some Americans are wicked. Some Americans will escape judgment. Okay? Now, what's the problem with our conclusion? Notice in the first premise, we have a negative, or a, 
um, our predicate is a negative predicate, correct? Wicked people will not escape judgment. Is that the same thing as saying no wicked person will escape judgment? Yeah. So we have here a negative predicate, but down here we have an affirmative predicate. So this, in fact, does not follow the weaker premise, and it's invalid. And again, you would write invalid weaker premise. The weaker premise rule is violated. Okay. And again, I'm going to give you more examples of this, so I'm going to keep trucking here just for the sake of time. No conclusion follows from two negative premises. So here we have no humans are angels, no angels are God. Right away, we know we have two negative premises, so we cannot have a conclusion, but yet they try anyway. God is not a human. Well, it doesn't work. We have two negative premises, game over. Okay? And again, the premises are negative. You could say, how else could you say this top premise? You could say, humans are not angels. Angels are not God. I always do that because otherwise... I seem to get confused. I can spot them now, but it helped me when I began. Okay? So therefore, we know we have two negative premises. We cannot have a conclusion. Okay, number six, no conclusion follows from two particular premises. So some premillennialists are charismatic. Some Catholics are charismatic. Therefore, nothing, because we have two particular premises. So again, this would be invalid. We have two sums okay, in the premises. It's invalid. And the final one here, no negative conclusion can follow two affirmative premises. All members of the Trinity are fully God. Some members of the Trinity take orders from the Father, and not all the members of the Trinity are equal to the Father. Well, notice in the two premises, they're both, they're both affirmatives, right? Right? I think so, yeah. And what happens is in the conclusion, all of a sudden we have a negative uh, predicate, so that's invalid. Okay? We can never have a negative predicate following two affirmative premises. Okay? Now, let's do some examples together, and I'll let you guys work on these, and then we'll go through them. And what I want to do is I'm going to go to 40, 45. Or, well, if we have to, we can go to 50, but I'd like to get a 10-minute break in for you, and then um, take, is, we want to have a discussion time because so we got some good examples from the Scriptures. Okay, But let's do some of these examples together. And what I did, just to make it easier, is the highlighted red is the major term for you the middle term is always going to be underlined, okay? So work on that. And remember, what you do, if you have your sheet, do you guys all have the sheet that has the seven rules? Do you guys have those? Okay, put that next to you and then just go through the rules. Just, and what will happen is when you keep doing it, it becomes like a checklist. You'll have it memorized, okay? Uh, do I have only three terms? Um, is, do I have a distributed middle? Um, any term distributed in the conclusion must be distributed in one of the premises, okay? And you'll just click them off. And so just look through that and just see if this is valid or invalid. And if it's invalid, why is it invalid? And then we'll, we'll go through it together. This is actually a tough one, and I, I wish I would have not started with that one. Let's, let's go through this one together. And then what I want to do is I'm going to give you the next one is actually a little bit easier, I think. Let, let's start off. Um, who thinks it's valid? Okay, it's valid. And who thinks it's invalid? Okay, all right. So we have some discrepancy, but let's go through it together. Remember, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure we only have three terms. And we, we actually do. Here we have the major term makes sense. We have it here. Um, we have those who deny any knowledge of God, and any knowledge of God is, in fact, there's no equivocation going on. It is the same. And agnostics and agnostics. We have three terms, so we're good on rule number one. How about the middle term? Is that distributed at least once? Well... Now, this is where I think it gets tricky, and that's kind of why I wish I would have 
maybe not put this, let's, let's talk about premise one. All the agnostics deny any knowledge of God. And at first, it seemed to me also that maybe that's a universal negative. But remember, we're not talking, when we're looking at our copula, we're not looking to see if it's a negative action like deny or hate or something that we kind of have the connotation of as negative. Either they denied or they do not deny. Okay? Denying is affirmative. Not denying or some form of not denying would be negative. Okay? So just think of the action. Is the action happening or is it not happening? Okay? And it's happening. And so therefore, this would be a universal affirmative. Okay? So at that point then, we do not have a distributed middle. However, in premise two, we do have a distributed middle because those who deny any knowledge of God is a group. Uh, which group? It's those. Those guys. Those guys. Okay? That's, that's just a group. All right? So that's universal. Universal subjects and negative predicates are distributed. So we're good there, right? We have a distributed middle. It only has to be distributed at least once. And sure enough, it is. Okay? Universal subjects are distributed. So we have a distributed middle. Now, any term distributed in the conclusion must be distributed at least once in the premise. Okay? So how many terms do we have here that are distributed? Well, we actually have both of them, don't we? In other words, agnostics is universal. So that's distributed, and this is a negative uh, predicate. So this actually is distributed as well. Well, agnostics is distributed also in the first premise, because it says all agnostics, right? Universal subjects are distributed. So we're okay there. Now, this is distributed, because again, it's a negative predicate. But you know what? We have a negative predicate here. That's distributed as well. So we're good on that rule. All right? Now, um, we have to also have the rule where we follow the weaker premise, right? The conclusion must follow the weaker premise. Well, what's the weakest premise we have? Well, of course, the weakest premise we have, both of these are universal, so we can be universal down here. We're good there. But we all actually do have a negative predicate. So we have to have a negative predicate in the conclusion, and sure enough, we do. So we're good on that rule. Now, rule number five is there's no conclusion follows two negative premises, right? But we don't have two negative premises. We only have one. This one is an affirmative, so we're good on that rule. Uh, the next rule is, number six, is no conclusion follows two particular premises. But you know what? We don't have two particular premises. In fact, we have two universal premises, so we're good on that rule. And the final rule, rule number seven, is no uh, negative conclusion follows two affirmative premises. Well, we don't have two affirmative premises, but rather we have one negative, right? And so we can have, in fact, a negative conclusion. Therefore, this is valid. So, being that this is valid, again, if the two premises are true, then it's, it's a good argument, okay? So, um, now, I know this is confusing. Let's do another one that's easier, okay? I wanted to get through that one because this one's easier, all right? We're, just work on that and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take a break after this. This one's kind of quick. Is how, how are you guys all doing? Is everybody done? Okay. This one's a little quicker. Let me go through this one. This is, actually, this is actually pretty quick. Let's look at our terms. First of all, remember, we have to have only three terms, right? So let's start with our major term. Yep, we have Christians and we have Christians. That's one term. Then our minor term, people and people, right? So that's our second term. And then we have our middle term, church. Sure enough, it's only three and there's no equivocation, right? So we have three terms. Now, 
we have to have the middle term distributed at least once. And of course, church is our middle term. Is that distributed at all? Well, in the first premise, it's not. Because again, it's affirmative predicate. Remember, only negative predicates are distributed. And sure enough, in premise two, it is also not distributed because it is an affirmative predicate and only negative predicates are distributed. So we have an invalid syllogism. And again, we write invalid, undistributed middle. Okay? Let's take a break and we'll... Um, I've got homework for you guys. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post the answers to them and so you can kind of check yourself. Will that be helpful? Or is this something that you guys would like to talk through more? Um, how are you guys doing on it? Is it, is it making sense? Uh, okay. Well, let's take our break, and then what we'll do is we want to show you how they're used in the Scriptures. So Bob and I are going to talk about that. Okay.